millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, August 5th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the new state health officer lays out his priorities and addresses the latest public health emergency. Then, leaders of the oldest organization of black churches in Mississippi issue resolutions on gun violence and misused welfare money. Plus, we talk to a Mississippi-born director about his new film. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi has a new state health officer. Dr. Thomas Dobbs announced his resignation from the post in March. His last day on the job was July 31st. On Monday, Dr. Dan Edney took over the role. Edney, a physician from Vicksburg, has previously served as deputy health officer. He shared his thoughts on taking on the job during a press conference yesterday. This is a unique challenge, and I felt the the calling to do it. And, you know, now that as I leave private practice, I'm very excited to engage in my new public practice and to look after the healthcare issues and certainly the public health issues of now 2.9 million Mississippi patients of the population of our state. I take that responsibility quite seriously. And why in the world would I do this? And it very simply, I have felt the need to be a catalyst for change. For Edney, that change starts with changing where Mississippi ranks in many health care indicators. He says for far too long, the state has been at the top of every list of health disparities. We're still struggling mightily in the obesity battle. We're struggling mightily with the impact of diabetes and hypertension stroke and heart disease with throughout our, our population. Uh, we are seeing an escalation and deaths related to opioid overdoses. And for me, the most egregious part is that you know, we still lead the nation in maternal infant mortality. So these are issues that are of great importance and that you know, we need to continue to attack. You know, the, I just refuse to accept the premise. I've said this before, I will continue to say it, that I just refuse to accept the premise that we have to be last 
and every healthcare indicator and have such struggles with health disparities. I just refuse to accept the fact that it's our fate to be the unhealthiest population in the nation. You know, I refuse to believe that our teenagers and college age students must continue to uh, die at an escalating rate of opioid overdoses. It's getting worse, not better. And the most egregious of at all of all of it is I refuse to believe that our mothers and babies are just fated to continue to die at the highest rate in the nation. And this, you know, we're talking about white mothers and black mothers. We're talking about white babies and black babies. All of us are dying at higher rates than the rest of the nation. But what's absolutely egregious is the fact that our black mothers are dying at three times the rate of the rest of the nation. Edney recognizes that these issues are challenging, but says they are solvable. In addition, he takes over the position during a period when COVID-19 cases are at their highest levels in six months. And on top of that, he has a new health challenge to manage. Yesterday, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services declared a public health emergency to bolster the federal response to monkeypox, which has infected more than 66 Americans. The announcement frees up federal money and resources to fight the virus, and Edney says the state has a plan to contain the disease. Right now, the we're, our focus is on our, our high-risk population uh, that where we're vaccinating those who are close contacts to uh, individuals who have documented monkeypox or those who are at higher risk, and that's in our uh, gay men population, uh, bisexual, transgender, HIV positive are at risk. And we're really deploying our vaccine in that area. Uh, so in terms of, of the school, it you know, we're working hard for it not to spill over. And uh, so I really think our kids are not at risk. They're certainly at no risk right now. And anyone who's in a monogamous sexual relationship uh, who's not having any intimate contact with with others is at you know very very low risk. So you know right now the you know Dr. Paul Byers and our epidemiology team has a great strategy to protect those at higher risk, and we are watching this very closely. We're now up to six cases uh, in the state, but it's not exploding, um, and I think you know we have a, a good plan to try to contain it as much as we can. Dr. Dan Edney is the new state health officer of Mississippi. Coming up, leaders of the oldest organization of black churches in the state issue resolutions on gun violence and misused welfare funds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
The oldest organization of black churches in the state is calling for action on matters it calls spiritual and doctrinal in nature. The General Missionary Baptist State Convention met last month and passed resolutions on gun violence and the alleged misuse of welfare funds by state officials. Dr. C.J. Rhodes is a pastor at Mount Helm Baptist Church in Jackson and serves as vice president of the convention. He explains their meaning and purpose with MPB's Rhonda Dunaway. Though we are uh, not anti-gun, we're not anti-Second Amendment folks, we do recognize that the unintended or maybe intended consequences of open carry have had a, a major, major impact negatively uh, on, on our communities. And we want for the state of Mississippi uh, to revisit that in order to help not only our churches, but also law enforcement and others to, to handle the spike in violent crime. And um, the Missionary Baptist, is there a particular policy that they that you want to see um, implemented, or or are you saying that you are open to um, you know like you said revisiting the current policy? What will that look like? Well, we do support as the as the resolution states that we support the repeal of open carry. What is in its place? We're up to uh, we're up for discussion about that. What what is the best and most sensible approach to gun safety? Um, of course, we are a, a state that believes in hunting and um, and protecting our homes and our property and our own lives. So we we definitely stand in solidarity with those who who believe in and prize gun ownership. What we're really looking for is a better legislation that that kind of, if you will, seals that loophole. Where right now in the streets of Jackson or Hazelhurst, Mississippi, where I'm from, someone could walk around with long guns and you really can't do anything about it because of the, of the present law. And many of our neighborhoods and communities are being terrorized, um, not just by white uh, nationalists around the country, but even, uh, you know, young, uh, you know, youth, uh, black youth in our communities uh, that are lawless uh, with regard to, to gun violence. And so we want to sit down with anyone, Republican, Democrat, independent, uh, who thinks of a better way to approach uh, this dilemma and are willing to hear what the better solution, the better legislation would be and would, would look to support something that, that is a better replacement of the open carry gun laws. So that kind of leads me to the next thing I, I want to ask you about, talk to you about is – it's the last uh, resolution, but yet finally resolved that we will hold ourselves accountable for gun violence. So are there some uh, community outreach programs um, that you are aware of in, within the Missionary Baptist um, State Convention or in your own church or um, maybe in a community that you know of? Well, certainly. I mean, I think, again, going back to what I noted in terms of local churches at, at any interval, you know, local churches are engaging at a variety of levels uh, in interventions. That's everything from prayer walks to um, various kinds of, of ministry and outreach opportunities for youth and young adults, um, helping persons with mental health and emotional uh, health issues. 
where you can just go down the list of all the various kinds of charitable and social service uh, opportunities that local churches provide. And so demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ beyond, you know, Sunday morning, beyond preaching, uh, but being the hands and feet of Jesus is, is a big part of what we do. And for so many of our folks in our communities, the sense of hopelessness, of, of purposelessness, um, that often are the uh, uh, prerequisites for homicidal or even suicidal behaviors are definitely things that we respond to in the immediate, uh, but also, again, work with uh, law enforcement, uh, the judiciary, and others to find uh, more systemic resolutions to these beyond the interpersonal and, and communal uh, work that we tend to do. The second of the two resolutions demands accountability and public disclosure of those responsible in the TANF welfare fraud scandal. Rhodes says if the allegations are true, it would be another example of bad faith politics. Speaking about amorality, you know, one of the, uh, you know, where I talked earlier about amorality, I think this particular resolution speaks to immorality, where you've got Again, the resolution says reportedly, because all this has been reported, and of course it has to cycle through our our court systems. Um, But based on the allegations, there um, allegedly were uh, immoral actors who most of them would hold to some Christian values or broader ethical values that were not lived up to. Uh, in this, uh, in a state that often demonizes the poor for being poor, you have, uh, you know, an agency that, for any numbers of reasons, stole, if you will, from poor people who needed those resources. Um, and so, first, we want to just demonstrate that we have a prophetic voice on this on this matter. We want our constituents and Mississippians in general to know that the General Missionary Baptist State Convention is taking notice of this, sees it as, as, a, as an immoral uh, act, uh, and, and therefore want all uh, persons who were actually involved in this theft uh, to be held to account at both the state and federal levels, and that all Mississippians who were stolen from uh, are fully recompensed, fully restored, uh, so that uh, whatever their particular needs were that were to be met by these funds uh, will will hopefully be met even even though belatedly. What do you think this case, this possible, you know, theft from, um, you know, from poor people, if all allegations are true, what do you see that saying as the um, about the structural racism in our state? Well, um, I think if if all the allegations are true or many of them are true, um, I think more than I think I think the bigger thing it speaks to and I'm going to get to your piece about structural racism. But I think it speaks to kind of the dead religion of too many of us in this most religious state. Uh, Mississippi is one of the most churched states in the union. Uh, and yet we know the stats that we are pretty much at the top of every bad list and at the bottom of every good list. Um, good religion uh, is not just what gets us to heaven, but helps us have a little bit of heaven on earth while we're still around. 
And so I think the hypocrisy, the immorality, the injustice of this speaks to the way then in which how religion in this state is often used to shroud systemic racism and classism so that the haves can continue to have and that the have-nots continue to be left behind. And prayerfully, uh, this scandal uh, and our resolution speaking to it will encourage a moral revival in Mississippi where people uh, who are, you know, people who follow Jesus Christ, but also those of goodwill, stand up and, and call out any kind of deception, duplicity, um, as it relates to our most vulnerable. Um, you know, we often remember the, the stereotype of the wel- welfare queen, all this stuff. Um, you know, here's an opportunity for us to make make right um, and and um, do what's right uh, by our most vulnerable. That the government is in the place to ensure the welfare, particularly of those persons. And, and lastly, hopefully, this will help us understand and appreciate how can we make sure fewer people are in poverty in Mississippi, not just through TANF or other kinds of funding but make sure that we have comprehensive economic development, educational opportunities for all persons, especially black people and people of color who have historically been um, maltreated and marginalized in the state. Dr. C.J. Rhodes is a pastor at Mount Helm Baptist Church in Jackson. Coming up, we talk to a Mississippi-born director about his new film. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Lady Makers is a new film available on Amazon's streaming service, and it's playing at select theaters. It's the product of a filmmaker, Tony Tite, a graduate of Gentry High School in Indianola. Tite, who wrote and directed the feature, did the principal filming in his hometown. He shares more about the film and what it means to be a storyteller. It's um, about three young troubled women, troubled young girls who are from Atlanta, and they are being sentenced to prison. And then the judge decides that he wants to give them an opportunity uh, if they will go through this diversionary program conducted by by 10 Jewish women that are in Mississippi. And so... These girls, at this time of their sentences, there are only three Jewish women left. Seven have already, seven have passed away uh, while doing the the, uh, particular program. And so anyway, Jasmine Guy plays the housekeeper for these ladies. And E. Warren Davis, uh, he plays the yard, kind of the yard, the gardener, the yard man. 
And so, but these three young girls come to Mississippi and and then their culture differences because two of the girls are African-American and one is Latino. And so they're mixed in the house with the Jewish custom. And so all of these customs are, are mixed or melted together in this melting pot. And that's what creates all the drama. And that's uh, just the story. And so what the ladies are trying to do is turn these girls into ladies. And that's why it's called the Lady Makers. Jasmine Guy was in a different world, correct? That's what she's known for. Yes. How did you get her to take on that role? I was shooting, I was actually shooting a commercial for, with Lynn Whitfield for the United Negro College Fund. And um, while I was shooting that commercial, she and Jasmine has the same publicist. And I was telling him about this concept that I wanted to do. And so in one of one of his talents to audition for the role. And so he suggested that, you know, I send the script to Jasmine because he thought she was fitted. So she read the script and then she contacted me and she said that she thought it was one of the best scripts that she's ever written in her 30, ever read in her 35 year history. And, um, and so she said she loved it and would love to play the part. And so uh, I heard her read and, you know, we chose up for the part. So that was quite a compliment. This movie, did you come up with the concept or is it from a book? No, this is an original concept. You know, I just kind of sat down and actually what happened was that my mother was a housekeeper for 42 years in New York. She, but she, you know, she's from Indianola, Mississippi. And then she moved up to New York and started working for this Jewish family. And she was a housekeeper there for 42 years and managed to get five of us through college. It was eight, I have eight you know, brothers and sisters. And so, and she was able to do it, you know, just uh, for sheer gut, you know, and things of that nature. And so I wanted to do something, write something that would be like a tribute to her. And, you know, so I did this, I wrote this movie in that vein, and that's where the story came from. And I just kind of created all the scenarios in the story, but that's that's where it originated from. I see, I see. What was the most surprising thing about making this film that you may have learned or maybe knew but didn't realize it was as significant um, based upon your prior experience being involved in films but maybe not your own? The most surprising thing I would say would be the principles of the story. When we were shooting, you know, it's one thing when you write something. It's another thing when an actor embodies what you've written and bring it to life. And then to see the effect that it had on the crew. You know, so whenever you have to stop, you know, shooting because the crew is laughing too much or or the crew is, you know, in tears and they and when you start doing those type of things and it's affecting the crew, that's when you realize it's something else is happening. You're not just shooting a movie. Uh, an event is happening. Something is happening about. And that was the surprising thing. You know, it's actually a, a good question that you've asked because no one has ever asked me that question. But that was the surprising thing that I saw in, in doing this movie. You know, you hear about these phenomenal amounts of money 
that uh, it costs to make some of these films that come to theaters. And The Lady Makers, it's at select theaters and it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now. What does it take to raise the money to be able to do films? You know, it's it's really about uh, stories. You know, really what it takes, you know, I want to I want to word this the right way because I want, you know, people to, you know, have a, a good understanding of it, but you know, if any film or any project starts with the story, any movie starts with the story. And so if you're going to start raising money, you know, it's not just you can't just have an idea or a concept. Everybody has there are millions of ideas and concepts. But it's the actual script. And once you get the story, then you can start approaching those people that are interested in investing in film and willing to take that risk because it is a great risk because it's it's art and anything creative and artistic has a greater risk than, say, real estate or, you know, something like that. But once you do that, however, it's the greatest payoff exceeding anything you can think of. You know, we, but those to get people to invest, it's really all about the story. And God has blessed us to where, you know, He has given me some good, good stories. All righty. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. It's William Anthony Hollins. You go by Tony Hollins in the film world, in your business, you're Tony Tight. Yes, ma'am. That's correct. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and all the best with your this project and your future endeavors. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.